This is Dr. Dan. Why is the collectivist left so angry? Those of us who are passionate about college basketball know the importance of the March Madness Tournament and reaching the Final Four. It is, of course, the pinnacle of achievement for the season, and the winner has bragging rights for the year. So what does a college basketball tournament have in common with the insane anger of the collectivist left? All season, fans follow their favorite teams, watching games, memorizing players' stats, keeping track of their team's records, and hoping for a tournament bid. Once the NCAA selects teams for the bracket, it is game on, and everybody places their bets and prays for victory. It is a single elimination tournament, so one loss sends a team home, a major disappointment for coaches, players, and fans. Every year, a few favored teams with outstanding players and winning records are eliminated by an unknown team no one expected to win. How a fan handles such an unexpected defeat says a lot about his character. Most of us shrug off our disappointment, saying, well, there's always next year. Inevitably, recriminations with a range of anger appear in the media, blaming the coaches or individual players for errors that led to defeat. Unfortunately for some, it becomes an excuse for rioting, looting, and destruction of property, sometimes with physical injury or even loss of life. Eventually, everyone calms down and life does go on. The American Constitutional Republic, government by the people and for the people, empowers authority at the local level. That concept means that states' rights are the true basis for individual rights. When the federal government is both properly limited in power and entirely constrained by those limits, each state reflects the desires of its citizens, not those of other states. Individual mobility allows citizens to relocate when necessary in order to congregate with others who share similar and compatible beliefs. And by their presence together, they can define the governmental authority of that state. As required by the constitutionally enumerated powers in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, Central government authority is limited to those few functions best accomplished at a national level. The Ninth and Tenth Amendments clearly reserve all other powers to the states and their citizens. Since the early 1900s, the collectivist left has been successful in gradually and quietly implementing socialism in America, using a combination of legislation, regulation, amendments to the Constitution, and decisions by the federal court system and the Supreme Court, they have increased the size and power of the federal government at the expense of the states and the individual. 
the year 1913 was a disastrous year for individual freedom and states' rights, with the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and the establishment of the Federal Reserve Bank, all of which significantly reduced the power of the states versus the federal government. Since then, the trail toward collectivism and one-world socialist governance has been blazed by a biased and compliant federal court system that has failed miserably to force the other two branches of government to live within the restrictions demanded by the Constitution. The foundation of our justice system is an unbiased judiciary relying not on personal opinion, but on written law. For the federal court system, that body of law is our Constitution, a contract among 13 sovereign states that created a legally constrained separate entity, namely the federal government, which was not a party to that contract. It was expected that judges would listen to arguments from all sides, debate principles and remedies amongst themselves, and then make judicial decisions based on the law as written. The written words of our Constitution set forth rules for governmental authority that are based on natural law rights and other accepted timeless principles. Many Supreme Court justices over the past hundred years, however, have voted for and written opinions that are in direct contradiction to those very doctrines on which our nation was founded. Their false and misguided rationale is the notion that the Constitution allows them to ignore principle and apply the realities of modern life to change the rules. Their true purpose is to circumvent the constitutional restraints on governmental authority to fundamentally change America and eliminate individual sovereignty. As an example, let's use God's seventh commandment, which states, Thou shalt not commit adultery. If the modern Supreme Court were to interpret this simple commandment, it would begin by redefining the act of sexual intercourse, dividing it into a series of stages of varying intensity under different conditions in a variety of positions in order to permit some and prohibit others. The court's final decision would be based on the personal opinions and biases of the individual justices, ignoring the basic principle, namely the prohibition of adultery. The Supreme Court and the federal court system is not infallible. Noted attorney and Cato Institute Chair Robert Levy discussed the 12 worst Supreme Court decisions in his book, The Dirty Dozen, among them the Dred Scott decision 
and many cases from FDR's New Deal era, such as Wickard versus Filburn. When the Supreme Court correctly denied the constitutionality of FDR's socialist programs, he threatened to pack the court with six additional agreeable justices. Several justices then capitulated, and the era of judicial blackmail had officially begun. The Supreme Court consists of men and women who are supposed to ignore their own personal opinions and prejudices to make judicial decisions based on the written law. Increasingly, federal judges at all levels ignore and deliberately obfuscate the written text of the law to inject social engineering concepts and political bias into each decision. In direct contradiction to our Constitution, legislating from the bench has become the new normal. These judges and justices are enabled by a cadre of willing lawyers financed by special interest groups who pursue litigation in response to every bureaucratic regulation and legitimately enacted federal law. They search out known sympathetic judges, wasting time and public funds to delay or prevent implementation of Congress's and the people's will. The entire federal judiciary has become a legislative super branch, more powerful than Congress or the executive, that makes law without being directly accountable to the people, without the unconstitutional and duplicitous actions of the federal judiciary, the collectivist agenda of the progressive left would be stalled, dead in the water. That is why the collectivist socialist left is so angry. A rising tide of populist anger has blown the tank treads off a century-long juggernaut of arrogant, elitist, collectivist victories. When a spoiled, undisciplined brat's parents finally take away the car keys, a temper tantrum of epic proportions can be expected. And that is what is occurring today in our country. And I guarantee you that it will get worse. Having taken a stand, we cannot tolerate capitulation or compromise if we are to restore the constitutional foundation of our country. For us, at this point, there can be absolutely no turning back. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man I get joy in everything Everything, everything Everything gonna be all right this morning
Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Would you like to know how to predict the future? Wouldn't it be great if we could accurately predict the future? I am not talking about mundane or personal incidents such as the winning lottery number or which team is going to win the World Series. It would, however, certainly be useful and potentially life-saving if we could predict major changes that determine our future lives and fortunes. I contend that this critical information is already available. All we need to do is study the past. 19th century French novelist Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr is credited with saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. An honest student of history would readily admit that the deep divisions that exist in America today have occurred in many other nations in the past with unfortunately predictable results. In medieval times, the nobility of the day, kings, queens, princes, princesses, dukes, and earls, owned everything of value, most importantly the land. Nobles lived in walled castles, protected by private mercenary armies, and were surrounded by fawning sycophants and courtesans to feed their narcissistic egos. Regular people, for the most part, did not own land, but lived on property rented from the noble. The few who owned land, as well as those who only rented their land, paid high taxes to the noble in return for protection. News moved at the horse speed, since that was the most rapid means of travel. Only events that occurred in the immediate vicinity of the castle were known in a timely fashion. Everything else, even happenings that could have a profound effect on life and safety, were basically unknown until the news physically arrived, usually days or weeks afterward, or, all too often, with just minutes to spare. For centuries, the entire civilized world was run by aristocrats and nobles with the money and power to sign treaties, forge alliances, make financial deals, write the laws, make war, and agree to peace terms, all without the input, advice, or consent of millions of regular people who lived beneath them 
but whose lives were directly impacted by every one of those unilateral decisions. The American War of Independence was like a gigantic earthquake, shaking the entire world to its core, because it directly and successfully challenged the status quo. Our founders' goal was to eliminate completely the assumed power of nobility to rule over common citizens by abolishing the status and the concept of nobility itself. The Constitution secured and protected the natural law rights of and sovereignty of each individual by limiting the authority and power of the government. The right of a common individual to own private property was the basis of the new order. The totality of a person's property was his land, his home, his possessions, the work of his hands, the ideas of his mind, and his life itself. An understanding of our Constitution reveals the many ways its writers sought to protect those natural law rights. But 200 years later, where are we now? In the United States today, we are ruled by a gang of arrogant elitists who control our government, as well as most of the governments on Earth. Some of these nations are, on the facade, democracies or republics, while others are undeniably totalitarian regimes in which the rulers hold power by terror and force. In either case, each of their governments is controlled by a deep state oligarchy whose self-interests supersede those of ordinary citizens. Every action taken by these governments now serves to amass power and wealth in the hands of their insiders, and the laws, rules, regulations, and edicts are designed to favor the achievement of their selfish goals. Attempts to break the oligarch's grip on government authority are crushed with either quasi-legal laws or violent means. For the ruling class, the stakes are too high to cede power voluntarily to the masses. For this reason, the incentive and the motivation for globalism can be found in every aspect of business, government, and trade. Globalism is a critically important tool used by the elitists for profit, power, and control. It began innocently enough with import and export agreements beneficial to all, followed by trade deals and treaties that benefited the wealthy and powerful more than the consumer. That was their foot in the door. For globalists, a national currency and a national border is a constraint of free trade. It makes it more difficult for them to make deals and do business in the stratospheric ether in which they live and connive. From our individual perspective, however, the elimination of national currency and a national border destroys the very qualities that make each nation a unique creation of its people. And so we see the unholy alliance grow between business moguls driven by greed and politicians driven by a lust for ultimate power to form the arrogant oligarchy that rules America today, all at the expense of freedom and the sovereignty of the individual. We are now all witnesses to the expansion of worldwide totalitarianism on a scale foreseen by George Orwell years ago. Make no mistake, the world and man's history has recycled back to that of the, of the Middle Ages, medieval times. And that is our new reality, unless we change it. The difference is that information now travels at light speed, 
collectivist control of the media and the flow of public information facilitates their ability to overwhelm our efforts to organize in order to preserve a vestige of individual freedom. Nevertheless, our goal must, of necessity, be to defeat all efforts to enslave humanity in a collectivist one-world order. America is the last hope to preserve individualism. If we fail, the world is doomed to centuries of dark oppression. The tools of tyranny in the digital age would ensure a totalitarian entity vastly more powerful and enduring than the monarchies of the Middle Ages. Faced with the growing unrest of the masses striving to regain that which had been lost, the arrogant elitists at the time of the French Revolution cried, Let them eat cake. Maybe it is time in America to resurrect, figuratively, of course, the guillotine. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will be right back after this quick break. <laughs> 